Augmenters. I'm Julie. And I'm Jimmy. And we know that great leaders have great mentors. And today we are joined by Amar Parmar, co-founder of the Bay HQ and host of the Entrepreneur's Handbook. On this episode, we will learn how to connect better with others by remembering it's not worth your time to try to impress people who do not share your values. We will grow to our potential by avoiding the scarcity mindset. This entire episode has a theme of evolution, the augmenter's principle of how relationships change, the augmenter's principle of how relationships change, and sometimes that change means just less. Here we go. Amardeep Parmar, we are so happy to have you on Augmenters today. Welcome. How, how are you doing? Good. Thanks. I just took me for how it's nice to be on the other side of this. I feel like I'm under less pressure. All right. Well, then I definitely have to jump in with the first question. So, Amar, we have our guests introduce themselves because we asked them, a mentor is generally somebody who saw something in you before you saw something in yourself. So who was that? What'd they see? Oh, so it's quite a few. I guess one that sets off the journey of where I am today is when I started writing, because that's how I got to current position. I used to just help people out in Facebook groups, right? So people in Facebook groups hmm. used to put like, oh, can somebody give me feedback on this? And me not knowing anything myself was help, like I was helping other people. And what happened is a few people then noticed who were further ahead than me. So they liked that I was willing to help other people, even though I was learning myself. So one person maybe stands out on this is a guy called Michael Thompson. So he's a writer, he's now an author, he lectures in Spanish universities, he's got a cool story himself. But he kind of messaged me, and this at the time was quite weird as a new person online to get my number and have a call with a phone like that was now I'm used to it but back then I was like this is a bit weird I don't know if I can trust this or not then we had a really long call first call was maybe two hours three hours wow. and it's about everything about life about everything else but what he was basically saying is I really love the attitude you're going about, about things and then he introduced me to lots of other people and got me involved in a mastermind group and that was then able to I then suddenly knew lots of other people who were a few steps ahead of me so that one mentor opened up the door for many other mentors for me. And off the back of that, then like all the random opportunities came. So how did you feel in this Facebook group? It sounds like you were like helping people, but there was a lot of things that you still didn't know. Like what kind of gave you the um, courage to try to help people without, I mean, if sometimes people think, oh my God, I, you know, I need to know everything before I can do that. What was, what was kind of going through your head during that time? I guess sheer delusion that I knew what I was talking about. So it was the idea. You are an entrepreneur. Back, this, is, yeah, this is the early days of COVID, right? So it was, I used to be a tech consultant, January 2020, New Year's resolution. I'll start writing online. Nobody's going to care. But what happened is my first article went viral. So I had this built evidence that, okay, people really seem to like the way I'm writing. And I think what I was doing is I was studying quite hard other people and trying to learn how they were doing things. And for me, it was just quite exciting to have this distraction from the world of COVID, from work and sitting inside all day to get involved in this group. And I guess what I was doing is I'm quite analytical by nature. So in the past, I've taught karate, I've taught dance, mm -hmm. and I'm quite, I quite enjoy those little technical details and finding those little points. So for me, it was quite enjoyable. 
And it's also procrastination from actually writing myself. So I think was that to tell, was, part of was it to tell other people what they, or it was giving advice to yeah, other exactly. people versus doing it yourself. Yeah, I got that. But I think it's a great way to learn is giving advice to other people because it can be really hard sometimes to criticize your own work because you're, you've got this, it's your own heart is in it, right? Whereas when you're looking objectively at somebody else's work, you can say, well, that bit sucks. That bit is boring. This is whatever. But you've got that objective side and then you can look at that and say like, oh, okay, I'm bored at what they're doing. Maybe I'm doing that myself. And then look at your own work, like, oh yeah, I am. So it can kind of catch you out sometimes of being a hypocrite, which is quite nice. I think it's a good way to learn. That's, that's actually pretty fascinating, Amar, because there's a, like an idiom in academia about you know, see one, do one, teach one. And you're more or less saying, see one, teach one, do one, which is kind of like a fascinating flip. And there's so many changes now to just different kind of learning models. And it's almost like see one, do one, or see one, teach one, do one, and keep teaching. And, and like that cycle of going back and forth is a beautiful way to continue to improve your skills. Was there a, a certain feedback from somebody who you were helping that's that stuck with you? Like in those early days where, you know, you got a manuscript and or something and you gave feedback and then that person said something to you? I think in a way it was actually a bit later on of once I was in this mastermind group with these people who were like so far ahead of me. The people that I was following and looking up to thinking, oh, one day I want to be like them. Now they were asking me advice and they were saying like, oh, you've made this so much better. And I think getting that kind of feedback from the people that I looked up to, that my feedback was helping them. It kind of gave me that validation because when you're helping people at the beginning, then often like they all, they're always going to be appreciative because they don't know any better, right? It was when it's somebody who I thought was like so much better than me being like, oh, like you've really improved my oh, That's such a good time title I think that's one of the things I was quite good at, at the beginning is really making that title element and how to catch people and hook them together and when I think I guess one guy who maybe stands out there is a, somebody called Nicholas Goke so again he's somebody who I really looked up to and then when I gave him feedback in his article and he said yeah like you're completely right I didn't see it this way that was really validating because you can sometimes put people on a pedestal right and when those people are now treating you like a peer, that was a really big moment for me, I think. Well, and writing is so personal, right? I mean, it's such a intimate kind of, I mean, especially compared to being a tech consultant where it feels like there's sort of rights and wrongs and then writing is really subjective. And would you say that in these relationships that you've developed, and this is probably good thinking about anybody who's a writer and looking to work with mentors, like, how did those relationships kind of evolve? Was it very specific advice? Was it asking questions to kind of get people to think a little bit differently? Or was it more like, hey, here's my direct feedback? How did those how did those conversations kind of go? So what happened off the back of that group is that I then became an editor for Entrepreneur's Handbook. So I got a kind of formal editorship role. And I think that really changed the way I looked at it. Because now I was put in a position. So I'd only started writing myself six months before. And then now I was in charge of editing hundreds That's of articles amazing. a week. That's amazing. You were very make productive sense. in your COVID time. I'm very impressed. <laughs> the rest of us were yeah, and Tiger King and eating Doritos. So th there's a guy, the guy behind it is called Dave Schools. And I think he's even said to me recently, he said, if I knew that you'd only been writing for six months when I brought you on board, I probably wouldn't have brought you on board. But it wow. kind of shows that meritocracy, right? It's like he saw the advice I was giving was good. And it's like, oh, like, yeah, like come on board. Where it's, it's a good thing was if he'd looked into my background and said, oh, you have only been writing for six months, then that might have been a red flag for him. And I think once I got that formal editorship role, then that was, again, really exciting because it was, 
it's very surreal because the nature of that role was it's entrepreneurs, right? So the people submitting articles were way more successful than I am. There's a bit of that imposter syndrome there, but I had a skill which they didn't have of that knack of being able to tell, is this, is this entertaining? Does this capture the audience? And that was something I could add value. And it was just this like roller coaster from going from nothing to now I'm telling these millionaires and like billionaires how to write properly. So that was incredible. And I think that formalization of it really does help where people respect you because you're actually giving proper advice. And I think it's the way you do it really matters. And what I think a lot of people do, for example, I think this is something I think any mentor should think about is you shouldn't tell people what they should do. You should be thinking about like suggestions. And it depends if you've got what kind of level of power you've got, right? Because for the editorship, I was the gatekeeper. If they didn't do what I said, they couldn't get published. So I could tell them, you have to do this, basically. But when it's somebody who was coming to me for advice outside of that role, then I could be like, you should do this, you should do that. But in reality, I don't know their vision. I don't know their background. I don't know anything about them. And for example, mm-hmm. with podcasting, there's people who give me lectures on podcasting saying, oh, you should make it four and a half hours like Joe Rogan. And like, well, no, there's a reason why we're doing the things where you're doing them, right? And it's the reason why you're doing the way the things you're doing them. So I always advise people, like you ask people, like, okay, what's what's the key point you want to get across it? Or what's your mission here? And try and get them to explain why they've chosen to use the tactics they have. Because it might be the case that they have done things the way you wouldn't have done it, but it makes sense for what they're trying to do. And a lot of people maybe project their own goals onto the people that they're trying to help. Well, and I think you bring up a good point of the difference between being a boss and being a manager and being a mentor. So I think, you know, obviously when you're the editor and they're submitting theirs, you're not really in a mentoring role. You're much more in a manager, like you said, kind of a gatekeeper role. But I like Mm -hmm. what you're saying about the ways that you're able to kind of ask those questions to help people outside of that formal network. And even it sounds like that's what you're doing online too, even probably today. And we definitely want to get more into um, the work that you're doing today. But I think that's important important to remember, right? Like when sometimes you are in that gatekeeping role and you do have to tell somebody what to do. And sometimes you're able to to ask those deeper questions. Yeah, absolutely. And now it's funny how much my life has changed in the last four years, I guess. So in January 2020, I've never written before. Then I quit my job to become a writer full-time a year and a half later. Then now I don't even write anymore. So it's weird how the people I came along that journey with how different everybody's now doing because I had that exposure to entrepreneurship through that editorship role. And that's where things then took me because if you're talking to all the entrepreneurs all the time, it's hard not to be inspired by that. And hopefully I picked up a thing or two from that as well. So once I got my job, then I then started interviewing a lot of the entrepreneurs and that took me along this journey now of being like, okay, I've learned all these different things and it creates that curiosity and that belief in what I'm doing. But what I found is that so many people are interviewing. It was, uh, I'm obviously in London. A lot of people are interviewing was generally Silicon Valley. So I got this frustration of, well, I've got this community on the other side of the world. I don't have the community where I live and I don't get to meet people in person. I don't get to interact with them. And that's where the idea for like the Bay HQ came from, which I'm wearing the merch of. And the idea behind that, which is a bit, I found a lot of people in my community weren't helping each other. And it was just really frustrating me. And it still frustrates me how there's some people who've done very well, but don't really pay it forward. And there's people who've done way better than I have, but they kind of like to keep that success to themselves and boast about it as opposed to giving that leg up to other people. So that's where what I'm doing now came from. So it's kind of flipped more into the podcasting side. And the original reason I started podcasting is I didn't think I had the guts to do it. So a lot of what I do is that I don't think I can do this. I don't think I have the confidence. I was a shy kid. I used to mumble and talk like this. And it's given myself those challenges that then opens up all these doors later Mm. on in life. 
I love it. Tell me a little bit about how the words scarcity and abundance come or like what those words mean to you around community. It's topics and themes that Julie and I talk about a lot on our guests with Augmenters. And it seemed like you just touched on it in a way. And this will lead into my next question, but it's interesting that you want to build a community. And I'm curious how you see people changing when listening to your podcast. So I think one of the big things I have now, and I think about it quite a lot, is that abundance mindset of before I think I used to be like if this doesn't work out then that's it or I used to take rejection really badly and I also used to try to potentially try to impress people that I shouldn't be trying to impress where their values didn't align with mine and it came from that scarcity mindset of if I don't get this opportunity then I'm not valuable or I I don't have self-worth whereas now it's a case of if you don't want to talk to me that's fine there's plenty of other fish in the sea and I've been able to build that now because my eyes have been opened before I didn't know about all these people who are doing well. I didn't know about all these different paths people could take. So because my view set was so narrow of the world, I thought I had to take everything that came. Whereas now I can look a lot wider and say, well, if this person doesn't align my values, then there's a hundred other people I can message to, a hundred other people can get involved. And I think that gives me such more confidence the way I interact with everybody because they can interact with the perspective of if I don't feel like you're really aligning with what I'm trying to do or you're not aligning with the message I want to put out in the world, that's fine. Like I'll skip you and that's absolutely okay. Whereas before I tried to keep every single person happy and you just can't do that. And I think one of the big things I'm trying to put through the podcasting, the stuff I do is just the idea that there are so many people out there who can help you. Whereas people often obsess over one person or one person on a pedestal of that's the person they want to be. It's actually, there's like a hundred other people just like them. So don't put so much pressure on this one relationship. Don't tell Julie I'm not a snowflake though, please. <laughs> Amar, let me then take you back a little bit. Cause I, when going through your medium, I was drawn to articles that you were writing in like the middle, late Q1, early Q2 of 2022. You seem to kind of go on this like, finding meaning and you know like what do you get up and want to think about and what do you want to you know go to bed and you just mentioned about if values don't align kind of like why put the round peg in the square hole why give yourself pressure and you know negative self-talk if there's no value alignment how does that how does like setting your values layer into finding happiness and collecting you know reasons for being how do you connect the two it's really interesting because i some i question myself on quite a lot at the moment too because in terms of my backstory is that so my dad passed away last summer and that flipped a lot of the ways i think about different things because i think so much before i was led by curiosity that looks cool let me do that let me do this and i was that look like chasing every shiny light whereas in a way what i've been doing in the last year and it's now coming to pass a bit more is that i was doing things i thought it was the right thing to do I was being driven by that mission. And now as I'm not healed, but I'm feeling better than I was, I'm now reassessing things again. Like, am I doing things because they make me happy or because I feel like I should do them? And I think it's a constant question to ask yourself of who am I and why am I in that way? Because in a way I kind of killed part of myself that was about joy and about happiness because I felt this desire to pay it forward from what my dad had given me in my own career. So yeah, and It's an interesting balance, I think, of that mission is important. It matters a lot to me, but I consider it there's two different sides of enjoyment. And I think this is what I've learned over the last year. You've got the enjoyment that's silly fun, right? Like I go and play football with my friends or soccer for you guys, or I go and just like, just be stupid and just have fun. There's that side of fun. And then there's intellectual fun, right? Of what we're doing today. Like this is enjoyable, but it's not the same as me just going and like, 
messing about with my mates, right? <laughs> it's like there's some level of, yeah, exactly, yeah. And I think you need to have both. And I think a lot of people, they really focus on like, oh, I get so much fulfillment from my work and so much fulfillment from what I'm doing. But at the same time, that makes you quite myopic and one-sided. So it's important, I think, to just have like, if you go back to that article that I wrote two years ago, and I probably should listen to myself. And it comes from the Japanese concept of Ikigai, is that mm-hmm. you should have multiple reasons to live. It shouldn't just be one thing. And I guess I'll correct this as well, because many people have this impression who uh, heard about Ikigai before. It's not this four Venn diagram thing that's been made up by a Western book, right? Because it's easier to sell and it's a framework. The, the West ikigai, let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas in <laughs> Japanese culture, Ikigai could be your pets. It could be, it's kind of collecting those reasons to live as opposed to one reason. And I think that's really important because you can enjoy lots of things about life. You don't have to put your entire value on this one thing. And when people go through life, like, I need to find my mission, that's just so much pressure. Whereas if you think about it, like, oh, I enjoy spending time with my friends, my family. I enjoy doing this. I enjoy watching this. I Like, there's all these different elements of your life that can bring you joy. And it's important, I think, not to... Yeah, exactly. So it's how do you do that? And how do you have this mission, but at the same time, stay human? And that's what I'm really trying to focus on at the moment is I don't want to lose my humanity in becoming this robot to fulfill the mission or the work that I'm doing. And one thing I'm doing myself is I'm taking a break at the end of this month because I haven't done that in over a year and not taking my laptop. My phone's on airplane mode. I'm just going to sit in coffee shops in another country somewhere and just have a piece of paper and just kind of write out like what comes to my brain? Like what, what do I miss? What do I want to do in the future? Because I think you can get so wrapped up in success and what that the praise I'm getting from other people, like, oh, your work, you're doing so well, keep going. Actually, I should take a break and redefine what success is for myself rather than what other people are telling me is going really well. And anybody who's been online knows it's so easy to fall into that trap of everybody's like, oh, you're doing great, keep going. But it's like, well, am I doing that to feel what they think I should do or what I think I should do. I'm, I'm almost done with my thread here, Amar. Cool. You're putting up with me very kindly. So when you've kind of gone through, you know, thinking about the abundance for scarcity, what your values are, how you take those values and apply them to, you know, finding happiness, like really like tapping into joy, regardless of what it is. When a mentee comes to you or you're helping somebody write and they're talking about how they're feeling, do you have any prompts or questions or just even statements that are like, hey, you know, here's a way to quickly kind of tap into what makes you feel good or what are things that you do value? Like, do you have a way to help others see some clarity that you've been working on so much? I think a lot of the time it's one of the things I think I work on quite a lot actually is I try to not overly structure things too much because I find what I can do is like a big part. I think the reason I am where I am is because I talk to people about things that other people don't talk to them about. And I can make that friendship. And it's one of the things I do, which is, is really good for what I'm doing. But it also means I have a thousand notifications every day, which is a bad thing. <laughs> My problem is I find it really interesting, right? So I love talking to people. I love hearing people's stories. But then I create, I try to turn everything into a friend. But then I can't handle, I've gotten way past a Dunbar's number of 150 people, right? So that's a really big challenge, I think, for me. And I think one of the things I always ask people is like, what's your story as opposed to what do you do? And I think that's some guy really focused on because you go to networking events and people are like, oh, what do you do? And it's like, oh, I do this. And it's like, oh, yeah. But when you tell people what's their story, you get a bit more of that meaning of behind what they're doing and why they're doing it. 
So I always ask people that because it's a bit more open, people take in different directions. So that's one of the things I focus on, what's the story? And then it's kind of really nailing down, like what's the why, like the why behind the why? Because people are like, oh, I'm doing this because of this. Like, okay, cool, but like, why does that matter to you? So for example, me, I'm running the Bay HQ and the, the, the tagline is inspire, connect and scale, the next generation appreciations. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing that? Partly it's because they're, well, my dad, what he did in his life and I'm trying to pay it forward. So that's a real reason why I'm doing it is there's, there's this big thing in the sky of like, I want to make a difference. Yes. Why do you want to make a difference? And to me, it's behind like when my dad passed away, then some of his clients wrote letters, like handwritten letters to us. Who does that in this generation? Right. Saying like, because of your dad, then I could feed my kids because of your dad. Then I like had a roof in my head. I would then lose it. But your dad saved that. Right. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's my North Star. That's a real reason why I'm doing anything I'm doing. And if people don't ask me that, they don't necessarily know. It's like, oh, he's just doing this thing because it looks good. And I think a lot about that performativeness, right? A lot of people are very performative. Of mm. They're doing something because they think it's going to make them look good or it gives them status. And sorry if you guys have got this bit, for example, like Forbes says under 30, right? It doesn't mean anything, right? It's like more people are, don't know the exact stats, but I think more people have gone to jail Sorry, Mar, but I was going to say, good, because Julie and I weren't Forbes 30 under 30, so we were like, yeah, screw that. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Before I insult you, I was like, I might as well just check. But it's the idea that like people really cling on to or under 40, status symbols. Or under 50. Yeah. Yeah. But people really cling on to status symbols. Like, are you doing it because you look? Even, for example, I used to travel before I did all of this stuff, right? I went to about 50 countries. Did I do that because I love travel? Or because I like to tell people about all the travel mm. I did, and that made me seem cool? Mm. And if I look back at it, it's like, that's part of it, right? I, I liked the, the status that it gave me. And now I don't travel as much because I enjoy what I do. But mm. I think that's I think I question people a lot. It's like, are you just doing this just because everybody else is doing it or because you think other people are going to think you're cool because you're doing that? Or is there an actual reason behind it? So a lot of what I'm doing is a means to an end as opposed to the end. Well, that, that has me thinking a little bit more about the Bay HQ. And it'd be great to understand. Tell us more about mm-hmm. it. Is it a platform? Or is it, it is mentoring part of it? Tell us more. It's a community. So how we started it is because I'd already done a lot of entrepreneurs with a podcasting space. Starts with a podcast because it's the easiest thing to get off the ground, to get people involved. So it's over 100 episodes now. Part of that is showing a spotlight on people that don't normally get their stories told. And it's showing people like, look, there's all these people who've done well. Because I think sometimes people, they feel like they don't have any role models or potential mentors. Yes. Just because some of those people aren't in the public eye. If you put them into the public eye, you can now reach out to them. But you can't reach out to me if you don't know they exist. And then there's events on that. We're going to go into schools, go into universities. And it's this really kind of, we say it from the classroom to the boardroom, right? Of inspiration, of telling people about all these stories, all these incredible journeys that people have had. So people can think like, well, I can do that too, right? And one story I always tell is of um, somebody on our board. Her name is Dimple Patel. She grew up in a council estate, which is like projects for you guys. So like some of the people have come from absolutely nothing. And they're now running companies with hundreds of millions, and you'd never expect it. And one of the other things I really like to spotlight too is some of the female entrepreneurs, right? Because a lot of the time they don't get the coverage, they're not really heard about, but there's so many of them doing really well. And if you yes. see that, one, it's about inspiring the women to be able to believe they can do it. But another big part, I think really, is showing investors, showing other men that look, all these women have done these incredible things. And it starts to change that bias in their own heads. If men keep seeing women who are doing incredible things, any unconscious bias they have starts to like be attacked. And we're trying to do that as well. 
Because I think there's one element of, yes, women need to be inspired, women need to believe in themselves. But I think the bigger problem is actually that men aren't believing in women when they should be. So it's that element too. And then we're actually connecting people together. So that's when the mentorship comes into play. One of the things I always say is there's no point having an amazing network if you're just like, oh, look at me, I know these people, right? And I think a lot of people do that. They like to boast about their network, but it actually connect people together. And that's one of the things I'm very consciously doing. So if I know two people can help each other out and they can do magic things together, I connect them. I don't need to keep a score of that. I have no idea who I've connected. I don't keep any track of it. Sometimes I do it to people. It's like, oh, you should talk to that person. I said, you connected us six months ago. So <laughs> you're like, it was still a good idea. I knew it was. <laughs> yeah. I think sometimes people can build a network. They like to keep that gatekeeping. Like I'm the one who knows people. And that's not authentic to me. It should be, if it's a community, the community should help each other out. And I think that's the difference between it being all about me versus being about the group and the collective. And the other side of things is the scaling side. So that's where we help people get the actual funding to actually make their startup happen. We're going to be launching more formal mentorship schemes soon, but a lot of it at the moment is more informal of, okay, I know somebody who's trying to start an ed tech. I know another person who's exited an ed tech, go and have a chat. And often what we find is because I've been able to build a relationship with them in quite an authentic way, they're more likely to hopefully take that email than they would do if that person reached out to them cold. So it's kind of using my social capital to actually help people as opposed to just, oh, look at me, which I think, there's too many people who do that. Amar, you, you sound like an augmenter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's all about augmenting. But I have to say, you know, it's interesting how you're talking. You spoke a little bit about the community, that there's a little bit of like a fear, right, of like helping others. Maybe there's a finite amount of opportunities. And if, you know, you add more people to the mix, then there's going to be less opportunities. So I think that's to me, that was kind of what Jimmy was bringing on in that like abundance mentality. Are you seeing a little bit of a generation of a generational shift? And would you say that some of the younger entrepreneurs that are coming in have a more open mentality? And how are you sort of fostering that within the community? Yeah, definitely. I think there's there's some element of that, but I think it's also the case of with say the with, my, with the community that I've got is that some of the people that came across in say the sixties or seventies, it was a much different time. So for them, their lives are much rougher. So I try not to kind of play the blame game because they need to be so much more protective of everything because they are much more likely to face discrimination, to not have opportunities than today as well, right? So there's still obviously problems that exist, but there's actually a lot more people supporting than there used to be. But I think what I found in the entrepreneurship space is people still have that kind of gaps there of like, I don't want to, a lot of their thing to do is as well is not being seen to be bragging. So they didn't show off themselves because they didn't want to look like they were showing off, then they just didn't help people. Well, they didn't, people didn't know about them, so they couldn't be helped. And what's interesting now is that some of those people who did do very well and weren't helping other people, I think they're now changing their mentality a lot because I think it a lot comes with kids as well. And I think this happened, especially in the last month or two, is that some of the entrepreneurs we've interviewed, we've talked to, have been very successful. They've said, well, my kids are in high school at the moment, secondary school, um, I can't remember what it's called in American. So those people are now like, well, I want this community for my kids. And I didn't have it when I was growing up. So it's actually some of the people in the older generation are really changing their mindset. They grew up in that scarcity mentality of they were fighting and they had to battle against all this discrimination. But they're now looking like, okay, I had that problem. I don't want my kids to have that problem. How can I make their life easier? How can I pay it forward? So what we've got is a whole bunch of these people who've done very well. We're now going to go into universities, going to schools. So we're going to set that up. And I think, to be honest, of all the stuff we're doing, that's the most exciting thing for me. So I went back to my own high school two weeks ago now and gave a talk to the final year students there and said, well, I was sitting where, exactly where you guys were 
none of you probably thought that you could do what I'm doing today because I didn't think I could do it. And it was kind of name dropping all of the people. So the Netflix founder, the Twitter founder, I am the guy that's spoken to these people. I didn't think I could do that. I had no idea that I'd ever be able to reach where I have, but I'm just the same as you. I'm nothing special. And I think that comes with a security element of, I don't need to constantly tell people I'm special because I don't think I am. I think I got myself in the right positions at the right times. I think I've had a healthy mentality of how I've gone about things, but so much has come down to when an opportunity presents itself, I've been willing to go and do it and make myself potentially look silly. And if I can tell those people listening and those kids and if there's young listeners today, just try it. What's the worst that could happen, right? Let's say somebody says no or somebody rejects you. So what? That's exactly the same position we would have been before. And it's trying to overcome that fear, I think. And I do think the younger generations are better at it than I was. And I think they're, they are exposed to a lot more than maybe I was in terms of that as well, where they're seeing these examples that I wasn't because of social media, because of other things too. I love it. Giving back to the next generation and making sure that people have different mindsets and approaches to you know difficulties, to areas where they might be under-resourced. That seems really important. And that has to be pretty gratifying to you as well, I assume. Yeah, massively. It's, it's interesting because I grew up in an area where, so I grew up speaking like Bernard and yeah, you're right, yeah, well, go on, yeah. So it's not the kind Wait, of situation. Wait, we don't, we don't understand <laughs> it in the world. Well, just what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> so I know you're having camera problems, but wait, was that a microphone problem? <laughs> no. So what it is there is that we used to mumble because if you mumble, oh. it's you're cool. Like, well, you don't want to be well-spoken because well-spoken means you're posh and being posh means you're a target for bullying, right? So oh. you kind of always had to show this roughness in some way in a, in a protection kind of mechanism, Going back to school, how I did, and I could see that that's exactly how those kids still were. You have to show you're tough in order to fit in in a way, right? And I can have the security of what I'm doing now because, and I shouldn't have to be this, but I was in the Karate National Squad. I've got proof or evidence to myself that I'm not weak. And one of the things I was questioned as well is I want other people to be able to have that mentality without needing to train 30 hours a week and be in the Karate National Squad, right? So one of the things I'm working on people is like, how do I give people that confidence without needing to go through the years of work that I did on myself? And it's really showing people that you admitting to your vulnerabilities or you trying to succeed or you trying to put yourself out there doesn't make you weak. Whereas a lot of those kids, they wouldn't want to try something because if they failed, all their friends would make fun of them or people around them would laugh at them. And at that age, I think that's such a, a big challenge or big hurdle because your whole life revolves around being fitting in right mm -hmm. amar i'm wondering if you i imagine you have so many conversations i can just imagine like you said your inbox being totally flooded people wanting to make connections and want to talk come on the podcast do you have any go-to resources that you share with burgeoning entrepreneurs that you think would be good for our audience to hear more about i think a huge part is there is so much free information out there so i always advise people because sometimes people want to buy something right at the beginning and they think it's going to do really well. But sometimes it's a case of do some of the research yourself. And like we've all got access to Google and everything like that. And just get different opinions. I think it's really important. So what I use today, what I listen to a lot is say My First Million, which is part of the HubSpot network. There's mm -hmm. different people like that who, but that's because I'm at a different level now. So what helps me might not help somebody at the beginning of their journey. And I think it's finding, say, four or five people that you believe in, that you trust. So there's Entrepreneur's Handbook, which I was the editor of. That's got a lot of different stories from entrepreneurs. And we try to also focus a lot on that personal journey of where people have failed and what they've learned from it, as opposed to 
what you often see is like, oh, I'm so amazing. I did everything right from the beginning. And I think those kind of journeys really help. So obviously I'll plug my own podcast. So that's the Bay HQ and the Entrepreneur's Handbook. So both of them share stories. What, another book that I think has always been recommended the most from any of the podcasts I've done is The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Mm. And I think what people have loved about that is just, it gives that reality. You've got to work out where on your journey you are. So if you're listening right now, are you at the stage where you, you're confident, you're going to do it, you're going to go ahead and, and then attack it? Then you need books like that. Mm. Whereas if you're at the point of like, should I get started? Should I not get started? Oh, I don't know. Like, are people going to make fun of me? You've got to find the right mentors for the right part of your journey. And the mentors I had when I started writing, they're not relevant to me anymore. I love them. They're great people, but they're not on the path I'm on. So it's adapting to that as well. And sometimes I think one of the challenges that some people might face who are listening is they've got a mentor who they've outgrown in some ways or they've gone in a different direction. And it's treating those people like people and just saying like, look, actually like you really helped me in this part here and I'm going to be forever grateful. But now I'm going to go in this direction and I'm going to seek advice elsewhere. And you can keep that more friendship relationship. And I think that's quite a hard transition for people where they sometimes don't know when to stop listening to a mentor as they've gained experience. And I think that's a really difficult thing to do. And I think I've found it in the past as well, where I no longer wanted to do what my mentor wanted me to do because I wanted to grow in a different direction. And you've got to be okay with just letting that go a bit. Yeah. And Amar, doesn't that kind of then dovetail into what you said earlier about it can't just be a purpose you need to have multiple facets of happiness and joy. And so if you find a mentor, it can't just be because I want this one thing. There's hopefully things like you said, like getting the mentor to talk about stuff that the mentor doesn't usually talk about with others and you find joy in those you know, intricacies and details. And if you do that, then you can evolve your relationship much easier than if you only showed up for advice all the time. Yeah. I think it's also with the mentors itself, I think it's something which I've come to terms with too, is that it's learning when to let go and knowing when like, actually I'm not the right person to give this person advice. And mm. a huge amount of what I'm doing today is connecting people with the right person for their journey rather than acting like I know everything. And I think sometimes, especially if, you're the, if somebody doesn't have a kind of a public profile like we do, for example, and somebody reaches out to them, they want some help, you can be really flattered. But you've also got to realize that actually, I don't know what I'm talking about here. I don't know what I'm doing. My friend or somebody else I know could really help this person. And it's being okay, with, it's kind of shedding your ego a bit there, right? Of actually understanding, I'm not the best person to help this person on their journey. There's another mentor they could have which would really help them. And I think it's that collective mindset of as mentee-mentor relationship, it's understanding it doesn't need to be one-to-one all the time. It can be actually a huge part of it is finding, okay, my mentee wants to go into this thing. Oh, I know somebody in that field. I can connect them there. They can have a mentor for that area too. So that's something I'd also think about too is if you want to go into something that's different to what your mentor has specialism in, ask them if they know anybody who could help them in that part of the journey. Don't, And if they get offended by that, if you want to have somebody else help out, then they're probably not the right person to help you. Here, yeah, here. that's a good point. Amar, if I could, I'd love to play a very brief rapid fire word association game with you where I'm going to say a word and I'd love to hear just whatever comes back. And don't worry, I'm not going to say, you know, when I tell you ferocious burning purpose, what comes to mind, that won't be it. It's going to be a, if I say the word mentor, what pops into your mind? Gratefulness. How about mentee? Responsibility. Yes. How about sponsor? Difficult. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Trying to get sponsors at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And uh, lastly, the word coach. Listening. 
listening. I don't know why, but when I said mentee, because I was looking at the word, I immediately thought manatee, and I had to really work hard <laughs> not to say that. <laughs> uh, when you said a much more the same thing, right? I mean, I I get really jazzed up about manatees. This is a topic for another day. I saw them in person for the first <laughs> time live, like right before the pandemic, but another thing. Uh, what was the best question, Amar, that someone asked you in the last week? And it could be like, you know, what do you want in your chicken sandwich? I think it, it comes down to the, the, when somebody questioned me on something I was doing and they said, like, mm. are, are you doing, it's kind of that whole thing I mentioned, like, are you doing it for the right reason? And I, I like it when people call me out on my own identity. Am I allowed to swear? Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm from like, when people call me out on my own bullshit, right? It's like, am I doing this? Are you doing this because you're, you care about this? Or are you doing this because you feel like you have to? And there is definitely elements sometimes where I am doing things because I think it's the right thing to do, even though I don't enjoy it, even though I don't want to be there. And if you keep doing that over time, you're going to burn out. So it's letting go sometimes and getting other people on board to help out of things, which I think is always tough as an entrepreneur to admit, actually, yeah, this isn't the right thing for me to do. Somebody else should do this and they'd be more passionate about it and it'd be better for them to do it. Those are good people to have in your life. Definitely. I also get defensive because I'm human, but... (laughs) I appreciate it afterwards. <laughs> well, I have to say, I have loved hearing about your journey, which has been like a quick, like you were saying, sort of the past four years, the different areas that you've been involved in and focused in. And I can only guess what the next four years are going to bring. And the paper and pen that you bring back from your um, time away is going to be filled with some really interesting and exciting things and hopefully some new ways for you to be a mentor to your community and broader entrepreneur community and also for you to find some new folks to support you on your journey. But it's been amazing hearing all about you. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I had a great time myself. Amar, you're too kind. This was really fun. Thanks so much. Jimmy, I want to go on a trip to the UK now, don't you? I want to hang out wherever Amar was. That background was idyllic for writing. Plus, I want to hang out with like his whole entrepreneur HQ, Bay HQ crew. Sounds like some pretty impressive, I mean, I know we talked about some impressive ladies, which is pretty exciting to me. And some fantastic entrepreneurs as well. It's just great to hear someone like Amar be so excited about helping others. Like he's genuinely there for it. And he is pretty open about his how he feels his strengths and weaknesses are and doesn't really care what you think, but is going to improve on what he wants to improve on. And like, what a fantastic leader to have when they're not telling you what to do. They're saying you should improve what you want to improve. Plus, I feel like what I really got from Amar is like, I think there is an element of just being okay with just switching things up, right? I mean, he like had this data scientist background and then the pandemic came and then he was writing and then he had like an editor job and now he started this whole other thing. I think sometimes that can be looked upon as like you're not focused or you're doing too many things. But as somebody who does also like to do a lot of things, I like jump in. All of your experiences build on each other. And he is doing exactly the right thing as you're building new experiences and new activities to get great mentors along the way. Get great mentors. And he had a great vision point. I know we th- we really believe this whole episode is about evolution, though evolution ties back into vision, where he had this great quote about, you need to stop trying to find a mythical purpose. There's no sword that King Arthur is going to pull out and you're going to find that. He said, stop finding, looking, stop looking for the mythical purpose and start collecting reasons to live. Like what actually sparks joy? And I thought that was a pretty big deal. And 
that makes so much sense when you think about a Mars mindset of don't try to impress people who, don't, who have different values. Yeah. You know, like It's just not worth it. You can still be kind to them. You can still work with them, but you don't need to go out of your way to be like, hey, I'm really good at juggling if somebody's like, I really don't value excellent hand-eye coordination. <laughs> you just let them be. Just yeah. let, like you do you. If you just want to cool. have no hand-eye coordination, that's totally cool. Yeah. I think if you spent, I think his point of just not spending too much time worrying about what somebody else will say when they look at your background and they looked at your LinkedIn and they looked at your whatever and just go ahead and do what you feel called to do, which I think is kind of what you and I have both done without our throughout our careers. We've both done quite a few different things. If you looked at it all together, it's kind of like, huh? But at the same time, I know I feel very grateful. I've had the chance to do like work that just brings me joy, regardless of like whatever it is, which of course is being on this podcast with you, Jimmy. As always, we're here for it. Going back to Omar though, like it, I wish I had this kind of clarity of thought that he has. I kept trying to figure out things I don't like. And I still give that advice to students all the time where his kind of shift of, you know, if we're going to be in a human centric world, stop worrying about things, start worrying about people, but don't worry about the people who are just totally different and off from you. You need to focus on the ones, double down on the humans who you care about and who will likely care about you. That, that was huge for me. I've thought about that a lot since we had talked to him. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I mean, honestly, his between his podcast, the Bay HQ, all the ways that he's amplifying voices within his community of incredible entrepreneurs of all ages, genders, doing great things. He's definitely one to follow. Super enjoyed the conversation. Excited to go to London and hang out in his awesome house. Yeah, let's go to London. And let's grow to our potential by sharing with Amar. Like that, his point that he said in four different ways through our conversation was avoid the scarcity mindset. He never really said abundancy, which I think almost kind of shows his like hustle and wanting to grow it and it being whatever, but that build a bigger pie, share that pie. And if you focus on the people who share your values, those are the people who will want to be part of that bigger pie with you and not try to take the whole pie. And, and like that really layered, they, those two points layered into themselves for me, which then immediately brought me to you know, the principle of evolution and that, hey, values can change on people. So maybe your relationship with a mentor could also change. Yes. Know, so, and, and that could be because that person is, when you met them, they really valued coaching and organizational development and being part of a larger team. And then they retired and they just wanted to go build a, I don't know, like a log cabin. Great. Like, you know, their values still may still be there, but it's not what they're spending their time on, you know? Well, and I think within the community, like he's building, there are there is guaranteed evolutions because there's mm -hmm. people who are starting a tech platform and they meet somebody who's starting the tech platform, but the tech platform evolves into a delivery service. And then suddenly they need a different kind of a mentor. And, and I think the opportunity to create these entrepreneur communities are so full of evolutions in mentoring and how people um, switch roles, keep changing around. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. So I hope to bake some pies with Amar someday. <laughs> And Thanks for them. your time, Amar. It was great. Augmenter's out. Augmenter's out. Wow, you've made it this far, and we thank you. Hopefully, you enjoyed our episode and discovered new ways to bring more authentic connection into your mentoring relationships. Want to tell them more, Jimmy? Be an Augmenter with us. Visit our website for the best interactive mentoring content at augmenters.us.
Share our podcast with someone you care about. Like and subscribe. And yes, really, you following our show and writing a review, it's a big deal. Your actions provide us with the resources to continue our undefeated, unencumbered, prize-winning productions. We welcome questions and suggestions via email, hi at augmenters.us, or on social with our handle at augmentershq. We are most active and available on LinkedIn and YouTube. Shout out and earnest thank you to our intrepid producer, Erlen Cato. We appreciate you. Augmenters out. See ya. Thank you.